The Tom Woods Show, episode 1634. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Folks, if you enjoy the Tom Woods Show, it's time to go to the next level. And next level Tom Woods is libertyclassroom.com. This is where my friends and I teach all the stuff you did not get in your conventional education, history, economics, and more, the way it ought to be taught with all the content they left out or distorted. Check it out at libertyclassroom.com. Hey, everybody, Tom Woods here. I could not be happier to welcome Brad Berzer back to the show. Now, folks, look, yes, we're going to talk a little bit about music, but it goes beyond the music. It goes to the message in the music, right? Because you saw the title of this episode has to do with Tolkien and Lewis, and we'll elaborate on that in a minute as to what that has to do with what we're going to talk about. You either love or you hate the music recommendations that Brad and I make, but Brad has much more to say than uh, just about music. He is a professor of history at Hillsdale College, the author of numerous books, including the prize-winning Russell Kirk, American Conservative, and he has created some really outstanding courses for Liberty Classroom on the Old West, on Jacksonian America, on myth, and more. It's been fantastic having him as a faculty member there. And we're going to talk about his brand new project. It's a musical project, and it's called The Bardic Depths. And I could not be prouder of my friend Brad Berzer. Brad, welcome back. Thank you, Tom. Always great to talk to you. I got so much I could talk to you about yes. <laughs> with regard to music and life. But let me first ask, how is the rather sizable Berzer household handling this whole stay-at-home situation? You know, we so we've been together for four weeks, and there are eight of us, and that's not including the pets. We've got a dog and four cats. <laughs> you are, have four cats? We have four cats, yes. Actually, five, depending on one that kind of comes around a lot. And then, it's, but anyway, yes. So six kids and uh, four and a half cats and a dog. And then of course my wife and me, and you, you very well know my wife and she very well knows you and your audience, but yeah, believe it or not, Tom, it, um, I mean, I don't want to diminish anyone's, I, I realize Corona is terrible and it's been terrible overall for the economy, for everybody, but we've actually had a really good time together. I hate to admit that, but it's been true. Uh, there was only one morning, it was a Sunday morning, and my eight-year-old and my 11-year-old started wailing on each other. But once in four weeks, that's pretty good. So That's a pretty good, <laughs> pretty good record. I posted... This is only marginally related. It's related only in the sense that we both have more children than the average. Yes. So I've got five daughters. Right. And uh, I, know. I posted. Beautiful daughters. Uh, thank you. I posted on Twitter the night before Easter that the Easter bunny in the Woods household had just got finished hiding 97 eggs. And some wise guy responded, oh, one for each child. <laughs> if only. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well. <laughs> and look, I have a song I want you to listen to, and I'll maybe I'll tell it to you on the air um, after we're done talking about because I don't want to distract people. I, I want I want to stay focused on your project, but I have a song that I want you to listen to. Now it's by a band that I've already told you about, and I think is not up your alley. But you got to give them another chance with this particular song, and you know that with anything you and I listen to, if you haven't listened to it five times at least, you haven't listened to it at all. 
Yeah, you got to sit down and pay attention. Turn everything off and listen. I'm going to reveal what that is at the end of our conversation. But today, we're talking about a really fantastic project. I mean, sometimes I think being Brad Berzer really does have some some real uh, exciting uh, features to it. I mean, you're a, a prize-winning author. I, I saw your acceptance speech on C-SPAN, for heaven's sake, and you you teach students who actually don't resent being in your classroom. This is another amazing thing about you. And then you, on top of all this, I, I, I beg your pardon? Not that I know of, Tom. Not that we, uh, no, no, no. But then you wrote the lyrics for a progressive rock album. How is this possible? What's going on? Describe this project for me and how in the world this happened. Well, like, who are you, Brad Berzer? <laughs> Well, I'm the friend of Tom Woods. I think that's what counts the most. <laughs> that's on I there. Are. It's in the top five. I'm, I'm, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. Um, no, thanks, Tom. That, that's incredibly nice. And you can't see me right now, but I'm definitely, I can feel that I'm blushing. I'm a little red in the face. Um, so this this project, I, it's something I've wanted to do. I mean, they're really, I, I know you have these things too, and we're both pretty driven people. There are things in my life that really, really matter to me. And after family, and writing, I've always wanted to be a, a part of a prog band in some way. The last thing I haven't done is I'd like to write a novel at some point. I'm sure you would, too. Um, you know, this is so these are not just bucket list things, but very fun things that have just kind of come along. I'm sure somewhat by coincidence, somewhat by chance, somewhat by hard work. But yeah, so a lot of things have happened. But uh, a few years ago, maybe five, six, seven years ago, uh, a mutual friend on the Big Big Train website on the Facebook page had been posting his own album, which uh, he and another friend, they were the two Daves, they called Salander after the the Scandinavian detective. I can't remember the series of books right now. It was a Stieg Larsson and named after them. And I just I really liked what they were doing. And so I started corresponding with Dave. Dave Bandana. And uh, it turns out that he liked my stuff. I liked his. And so we ended up writing two albums together that really we've never done much with at all. We called it Berzer Bandana as a project. And uh, about a year, year and a half ago, I wrote him and I said, Dave, I think I'd like to try one more. Let's see. What, you know, Are you up for it? He said, yes. And I said, well, let's make this one a concept album. And I'm going to write on the friendship of Lewis and Tolkien. And he was all in favor of that. So I wrote the lyrics and, you know, suddenly about a month later, I get this album back from him and it, it just took off from there. We got a producer, we got a label. We, it's like, how does this stuff happen? I'm still, you know, even talking to you, Tom, about it, I'm still amazed it all happened, but it did. <laughs> so it's, it's very cool. That is, it is. And I've listened to it and I can hear. I can hear Brad Berzer's voice, yeah. not singing voice. <laughs> where I haven't word. been uh, vouchsafed that particular pleasure, but I yeah. can hear the spoken word. Yeah, you wouldn't want to hear my singing. Um, but yeah, no, the, the spoken word, that was fun. And I wasn't I wasn't really expecting Dave to put all that in. He asked me to record some of that, and I thought it was just for his own benefit. And then it ended up on the album. So <laughs> that was the first time I heard it. I didn't like it. I was like, oh, man, no, 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 this isn't. But I've gotten used to it now. 
So. <laughs> oh yeah, no, it's it's and of course, come on now. There some of the most pretentious progressive rock has just think Nights in White Satin by the Moody oh, Blues. I love that. I can still recite all that. Sure, of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> by the way, I saw an interview with uh Ian Anderson some time ago where he was talking about how much he wanted to have the opportunity to play that flute solo in Nights in White Satin. Really? You know? <laughs> He always wanted to make that happen. And he knows Justin Hayward. Anyway, no, no, listen. He should have. That's I can't, No, we have to stay focused. You you and I are never going to be able to do a coherent episode if I keep going no, on these I've tangents. I've always got to bring up Ian Anderson. That's just, that's a prerequisite. That's, yeah, it, it, it's necessary. Guest on Tom Wood Show episode number three, by the way, Ian Anderson of Jethro Tom. Right. All right. Let's talk about uh, a little bit at a time here. The features of the friendship between Lewis and Tolkien that would seem to be fodder for a creative project like this. Well, of course, these guys, you know, they founded the Inklings in 1931, and that that was a friendship that lasted really strongly up through 1949. And it was out of that friendship that we got everything from Lewis's from C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy to Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. So there were about 15 to 20 people involved in this group, and they used to read to each other. There were historians, and there were literary critics and poets. And it was a, from what I, I've read of them, it was a pretty fearsome experience to have to read in front of those guys. You know, they were they were best friends, but as their friendship was, you know, they they would just tear each other apart. And uh, I I'm amazed at the kinds of things that they were able to do. And there's this this is the the, the classical liberal quasi-anarchist streak in me, Tom, I'm always, always interested in associations. And I think the Inklings is one of the great associations of the 20th century. And it, it doesn't hurt that Tolkien and Lewis would feel very comfortable with your politics and my politics. I will admit that's that's something that I'm, I'm attracted to as well, that they, they would have agreed with us on many things. Uh, so it's nice to have people who are like-minded, but who are actually living out their associations. And you know, I don't want to embarrass you, Tom, but uh, you're one of these guys. You're like Lee you're like Lewis and Tolkien. You know, you, you've created Liberty Classroom. You have all of these listeners. You know how to build community and you know how to do it through association. And that's incredible. And I, I frankly, as much as I like talking about individuals and I like kind of great and theory of history from time to time. I think it's usually in friendship that real history changes. And and again, not to embarrass you, but I, I think you've really done that. And I, when I said earlier, hey, I'm a friend of Tom Woods, I, that's a big deal. <laughs> that's a really big deal. I'm glad to be part of that circle. And I think that for Tolkien and Lewis, yeah, these guys accomplished a lot. And it was through a lot of work, a lot of hard work, but also a lot of creativity and imagination and inspiration, but also a lot of steel meeting steel in the way that they critiqued one another. So let's talk about, I mean, I, I want to get into your project. I don't want to just, just do these two, but sure. they both wrote novels in the fantasy genre, and both of them had some kind of layers of Christian allegory involved, and they both had a Christian worldview. So that's obviously a major uh, you know, common feature between these men. I mean, I don't know if, how deep in the weeds we want to get trying to distinguish them sure. from each other, but they obviously they had plenty of overlap. I can't imagine they fought a lot. I mean, what, what can you tell us about the intellectual side of that friendship? Well, they were definitely very close with one another, and they thought alike, certainly on political issues. Um, and you can see that Lewis got a little more 
liberal in the not good sense as he got older. I think Tolkien actually got more conservative in the good sense as he got older. But they were both extremely skeptical of government. And Lewis used to always talk about that government in the modern world was really governtisement. There was no such thing as government. They were all these political ad agencies that that basically ran things. Uh, And they were both very concerned with the issue of propaganda. They were concerned with war. They were concerned with the way that government would use technology. But their friendship was definitely a solid friendship, and yet there were differences. Lewis you know, converted to, uh, to Christianity in large part because of Tolkien's influence. They had a, a series of conversations over years, and then one that was really important in September of 1931 that convinced Lewis that he should indeed move beyond just believing in God, but actually believing in the Trinity. Tolkien was a diehard, daily mass, rosary-saying Catholic, Roman Catholic, And that was always a bit of a divide between the two of them. Tolkien was always really disappointed in Lewis for Lewis not having gone all the way to Catholicism. Lewis went all the way to very high church Anglo-Catholicism, and then he stopped, and Tolkien was not happy with that. He thought that Lewis should have gone a little bit farther. And there was a bit of anti-Catholic bias in Lewis as well. So that, that was part of the rift that started breaking them apart about 1949 and really kind of lasted until Lewis's death in 1963. So the the last several years of their friendship are not really happy ones. Uh, It's kind of dreadful, actually. But they did have that great run from 1931 to 1949. I actually hadn't known about those last years between them being difficult. That's interesting. Uh, Yeah, they stopped. So the Inklings, uh, the last meeting was in October of 1949. And and Lewis's brother, Warney, who was a real character as well, just recorded in his diary, held an Inklings meeting and no one came. Uh, and that was it. I mean, they still there were still people who met on Tuesdays at a bar, but nothing like what they had done. The, the Inklings used to meet the core of the Inklings every Thursday night. And you can imagine, I mean, this is 52 weeks out of the year for you know, 18 years. These guys were meeting. And of course, they didn't meet every Thursday, but they did during the academic year. And they would meet starting early evening and they would drink a lot and they would go till midnight, sometimes three in the morning. Yeah, you can imagine 15, 20 guys sitting around reading poetry to each other and criticizing each other. It was uh, it was pretty amazing. But yeah, Lewis and Tolkien did have a falling out around 1949. It wasn't complete by any means when Lewis gets his full-time chair and position at Cambridge in 1954. That was all Tolkien, who, uh, without Lewis's knowledge, had organized that and had raised the money and had gotten that position for Lewis. So there were still things going on in terms of their friendship, but they weren't really seeing each other on a day-to-day basis like they once had. The album and the band are both called The Bardic Depths, so I've got that right? Yes, that's right. What's the origin of the name? I guess it's obvious-ish, but look, how did you come up with it? Well, when I wrote the lyrics, I started thinking about the idea of uh, Tolkien and Lewis as modern bards. And a lot of this actually goes back to the class I did for Liberty Classroom, Tom. It goes back to my course on mythology. And I've always been interested in the idea of the bard. The idea of someone who's not quite a prophet because a bard tends to be a little bit less religious than a prophet, but has many of the same functions in society that a prophet does. And I think of someone like Ian Anderson uh, on Aqua, on Aqualung. I think there's a there's a prophetic element. And it's not just because 
you've got all these religious themes going on. But that's a part of it, too. But there's something in it's very difficult to walk away from the album Aqualung and not have some sympathy with the poor and the homeless. Uh, And I think Ian Anderson is in a very bardic fashion able to make those kinds of social concerns relevant to all of us. And I think that's a real gift. Uh, I think that Greg Spotton and Dave Longden in Big Big Train do the exact same thing. And Tolkien and Lewis were the masters of it. They really did play that role as some somewhat half storyteller, somewhat half prophet. Uh, and that so the bardic depths was the idea well, how far can we go with a bard in the 20th century? You know, clearly we have the ideologues, we have uh, the Mussolinis, and we have the Lenins, and we have the Stalins. What would their counterpart be? And I like the idea of a storyteller or a bard being a counterpart, someone who kind of raises us up and is able to inspire the heroic and the best out of each of us, no matter who we are. Oh, that's good stuff. That is, you're singing from my hymn book with stuff like this. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll come right back and we're going to talk further. Hey, everybody, my daughter Veronica is with me today. I've been telling you guys about Skillshare for a long time. One membership gets you access to thousands and thousands of classes. These are classes that can make you a more attractive employee because you have more skills. It can give you a skill that can help you start a business even. And it can also just help you cultivate a hobby more enjoyably. And I want to talk to Veronica about a few classes she's been taking. Now, Veronica, how old are you? 15. All right, obviously that was just for the sake of the folks. I do know my own daughter's age. Tell me what classes you've been taking at Skillshare. Mainly art and a bit of sewing. So like I did anatomy for the art and then the art of doodling. And then for the sewing, it was like how to sew a circle skirt. And about how long are these classes? Some are like 30 minutes, some are an hour. Some can go on for a little longer. Would you say these classes were a good use of your time, that you learned something valuable from them? Yes, because with the art of doodling, it helped me how to, you know, get creative with the things that I had or with certain themes. And then for the sewing, I can now picture in my head what I want it to look like and execute it better than what I was doing before. Thank you, Veronica. Well, folks, Skillshare is running an amazing offer for our listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for free. That's access to thousands and thousands of classes for free for two months. To cash in on that amazing offer, head over to Skillshare.com slash Woods right now. That's Skillshare.com slash Woods. All right, I have the lyrics to the entire project right in front of me, but why don't you give us maybe an overview, a tour of the album, what we're going to experience when we start listening. So the beginning starts right away with, there's a famous line in Lewis's autobiography where he hardly talks about World War I. In fact, he, he says, and I, we do this spoken word thing in the first song, that his experience in World War I was so intense and so unusual that he has no real idea how to incorporate it into his life. And he has this beautiful line where at the end of this section on his experiences in his autobiography in World War I, he says, and suddenly I realized after the first bullet went by me that I now knew what Homer felt. And I I love that, Tom. I mean, that idea that Lewis was that classically educated, that the very first serious thought he has on the battlefield in World War I of all hellish places is this is what Homer felt. And so what I tried to do with the lyrics there was just give us a kind of overview of Western civilization and show that there were all kinds of people who have felt this, maybe not the bullet, but knew what war was like. So I go through Odysseus. 
obviously fictional, but maybe based on a real figure. Leonidas, uh, the great Spartan, Cato, Cato the Younger, the great defender of the Roman Republic, and then Beowulf's companion, Wiglaf. And I, I try and compare them to the Inklings, to John Ronald Rural Tolkien, Ronald, to Jack Lewis, C.S. Lewis Jack, and to Owen Barfield. So I, I start off those lyrics with, this is what Odysseus felt, but end with, this is what Ronald felt. And try to give, and I had nothing to do with any of that production, Tom. The sound effects, all the whistles blowing, the marching in order, the shots being fired, that was all done by Dave Bandana, who wrote the music, and by Robin Armstrong of Cosmograph, who produced it. So I think they did an amazing job of kind of just immediately throwing us into the depth of battle. And then the second song is really about the formation of the friendship of Lewis and Tolkien, where they, they met in 1926. And then they started reading the old Icelandic myths in Icelandic to one another. And from there, I go into to more themes of what the Inklings were about, their ideas of time, their ideas of imagination and their ideas of soul. And Dave is not uh, Dave, my partner in all of this, the, the actual musician who did the hard work of writing the music. Dave is nominally Christian, but he was so gracious in allowing me to be as Christian as I wanted to be. And Tom, if you noticed, uh, I, I threw in lyrics at the end, um, especially in those theme songs, I have lyrics that come straight out of Augustine and Thomas Aquinas. <laughs> so it was just so gracious of Dave to be that open about it. You know, I would never want it to be a kind of evangelical in your face Christian rock. But at the same time, I wanted it to to reflect the Christianity of Lewis and Tolkien and to get into that. So I, I really had fun with those lyrics. Uh, track six, then, is the end, the breakup of their friendship. But I didn't want to end there. So we added one last song, Legacies, which talks about the impact, the influence of, of Tolkien. And, and you probably know this, Tom, but outside of the Bible, The Lord of the Rings is the best-selling novel of the 20th century, uh, the best-selling book, not not more than the Bible, but second to the Bible. And that that's amazing when you consider this is a guy who suffered from severe depression. This is a guy who thought he wasn't worth anything more than than a, a mere teacher. And, you know, in the end, this is a guy who really conquered in all kinds of ways. And so many of us, I mean, our children have been raised on this literature. And I think that's a that's a great mark for Western civilization. You know, past ages have had Homer, they've had Virgil and they've had Dante. We have Tolkien. And I think that's a great thing. It's beautiful. I want to point out that what you're trying to do is actually quite challenging because, first of all, writing lyrics, period, is difficult. But in particular, this could have come out very dry and didactic, and it must have been tempting at times to write it that way as opposed to writing it with a more poetic ear. You know, I think part of the problem with some, let's say, Christian movies is that they're trying so hard to be a Christian movie that it comes off forced and stilted and obvious and in your face. And I mean, for me, the real problem with uh, the so-called Christian rock is is mainly that it's just extremely emasculating. Like just, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to be in the same room as this music. But what, what you've done is somehow, and if you hadn't done this, by the way, I probably would have politely made an excuse as to why I couldn't have you on the show, but you have I accomplished it. That, Tom. <laughs> is that you've 
you've written these lyrics in a way that conveys something very powerful, but again, not in a didactic style of here I am the teacher and I'm going to teach you all about the friendship between it's much more subtle than that and it's very beautifully done and it's it is without a doubt this is not false modesty not something i could do i don't know about that tom i actually think you could uh pretty easily and especially when i think about your writing style you have a very good cadence to your writing style uh extremely good cadence and you know how to structure a sentence in terms of making it not just in your face but poetic and i think that's actually one of your i mean i think you have lots of strengths tom but i think that's one of your greatest strengths it's in your your uh your book on the, the catholic church it's all that book is a very very poetic book on the history of the Catholic Church. And even the stories you pick, like the monks who were experimenting with the flying machines, and uh, you, you just have a very good knack for doing that. Brad, I, I guess I just have to remind myself, pay you more compliments because they always boomerang back as compliments to myself. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. I mean, it's just it's the way I – mean, Tom, that's how I – you know, I started reading you when you were in Latin Mass magazine, and I loved your style. I got a subscription to Latin Mass solely because of you. Um, I mean, that I, you've been a part of my life for 20-some years now, even before we actually formally met. And I, well, I, and, I, and that, wait, Let me interrupt for one second. And just – I think most people don't know the story, oh, but sure. I think they should. I, I think they should because I – there's something I, I – love about this, that you're a professor at Hillsdale and you've been there since 1999, 2000, when? 99. Yeah. 99. Yeah. Well, you know what, you jerk? I also applied for that position and I didn't get it. <laughs> they hired Brad Berzer instead. And I remember, you know, I, I was fine. I, I, I have no regrets about my, my life. It's gone great. But, but at that time, let me just say that when I first got word of that, for a brief moment, I was, let's just say, not the world's biggest Brad Berzer fan as I am today. <laughs> I understand that, Tom, and um, I, I'm still amazed I got the job. <laughs> but you are so suited to that. I mean, well, that is so who Brad Berzer is. Of it, and uh, I know that I was ranked very low in uh, the people who came in. But anyway, it worked out, and I'm, I'm very glad. But yeah, Tom, I've been reading you for, what, 25 years now? I mean, that's, you know, I'm 52. I know I'm older than you, but I've been reading you for a long time. And and my point is, I I think that both of us and whether this always works or not, maybe an open question. I don't really think it always works for me, but I know in my own writing, I'm very imagistic. Uh, I love images and I love describing images and I'm probably better at going image by image than I am word by word. Um, and not that there's anything wrong with my grammar, but I think my strengths, if there are any, really have more to do with the images I convey. And I I have to credit, Tom, I have to credit prog rock to that, uh, for that. I, this is the way I listen to things and the way I think about things goes back to my childhood and listening to yes songs. Yeah, I the way that the that prog lyrics are almost always imagistic. I they if if I've been listening to that for 40 some years, 42 years or more, that's clearly defined how I think. So, I had a great time writing these lyrics and one of the nice things is 
Uh, we hadn't done anything that had gone anywhere yet. So I felt no pressure when I wrote these lyrics. I thought, I'm going to have a great time. I'm going to write these for Dave. Dave's my friend. Dave's going to know what I'm doing. And that was it. <laughs> so in part, it was just blind luck that it was like, OK, I am not going to second guess myself on this at all. And uh, we're working on a follow up album. And I'm trying really hard not to second guess myself now in ways that I didn't at all with the last one. It's really hard not to, though. It's like, oh, okay, does that really work? Or I'm just repeating myself? Or do I sound like me? Or it starts getting a little crazy, frankly. Yeah, I can, I can hear that. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I hear you when you say that. But I want to know about what you would say to a non-Christian who's curious about this album. What does it say? Does it speak to somebody who does not identify with Christianity? I would hope so. I really hope so. If not, I've failed because I, I wanted it to be something that was rooted in Western civilization and in Christianity, but not an in-your-face kind of thing. So you know, if someone asked me who didn't come from our shared background, Tom, uh, I would say, and, and very honestly, I would say it's a book about friendship allowing us to get through even the worst of all things in this world. So it is ultimately a celebration of friendship. Now, clearly for these guys, it was a celebration of Christian friendship, but there are elements to them, especially the fact that Lewis and Tolkien were so deeply influenced by the pagans. Yeah, I mean, Lewis, I don't know if it's been a while for you or not, Tom, since you've read the Space Trilogy, but that hideous strength, you know, the end of that hideous strength is Venus, of all heavenly beings, Venus, the pagan goddess, descending upon the world. Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty crazy uh, when you think about it. And that Lewis was a full-blown member of a Christian church and considered himself a devout Christian at that point, that he could mix so easily that paganism with his Christianity. I think there's a way that, yeah, I think this, I think Lewis and Tolkien were always good at speaking to non-Christians in large part because they were artists and not propagandists. So I think they were effective. By the way, what is the follow-up project going to be about? Can you say? You know, we've been giving it a, a, a lot of thought. At first, I wanted to write on T.S. Eliot. And uh, the more I got into that, I thought, no, this is going to sound too much like the like what we just did with the Bardic Depths. So right now, I, I've kind of written a story that is, uh, it's a dystopian story. It's a post-apocalyptic story. And it's about uh, four sisters who are trying to survive as their republic and everything else is falling around about so at this point, it's got a lot of libertarian themes, maybe two in your face libertarian at this moment. But that's that's where we're at. And again, I have no idea what Dave's religious views are or his politics, but he's been so gracious to allow me to just kind of write whatever I want. And then he interprets that through music. So he's been very great. I would be doing every by the oh. way. He absolutely loves you, Tom. Um, oh. So, and I don't think he considers himself a libertarian, but he loves you and listens to your podcast. I have a natural lovability. Yes, just you do. Gets conveyed. It's obvious in all the pictures that you've been putting up recently on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. I'm having a great old time. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> now, I think we have to say a word about how you would describe the sound. I mean, we've, this is a thing about with, with progressive rock, sometimes there can be times when we get so caught up in the story. Oh, it's about this. It's about that. Yeah. And people will say, well, okay, but what does it sound like? What, what is the music like? Right. You know, if I, I was kind of 
so so far we've had nothing but positive reviews, which shocked me. Uh, and we've had even Prague Magazine gave us a completely positive review, and I mean that's the you know, for anyone in Prague that's the gold standard, right? And yeah, that was great. Um, so we've had nothing but positive reviews, but in in looking at how those reviews work out, at least as I'm thinking about them and the way that we see them, one of the th- one of the things that was said, and I don't think this was a criticism, but one of the things that was said a couple of times was that our music was really retro. And it's funny to me because I know the kind of production techniques that Robin Armstrong put into it, and I would say it's anything but retro. But there are hints, and in one song, there's a definite hint to Pink Floyd's The Final Cut. Uh, in another song, there's some definite references to Vangelis and especially Blade Runner. And in another song, there's some references to Talk Talk and Spirit of Eden. But overall, I actually, you know, this to me is, is uh, I, I won't call it straightforward prog because there's really no such thing as straightforward prog. But I think it, from my perspective, at least musically, I'm not saying it's at that quality, but it sounds very much to me like close to the edge with maybe a little bit more modern production. So you know, it, it strikes me as mainstream prog. It's a little bit more electronic than say what Big Big Train does, but I still think that there's a kind of pastoral element in the way that old Peter Gabriel Genesis was. And Dave, my again, the music partner, Dave Bandana, he is not a heavy, he's not a hard rock guy. He, he's definitely a kind of Genesis Pink Floyd prog guy. So probably a lot less porcupine tree in the way that he writes and much more old, old style Genesis. But I still don't again, I don't think it's retro, but I may have listened to it too many times at this point, too. Um, I've listened to it a lot. No, it's not yeah. retro. No, it's not. Oh, yeah. thanks, Tom. I mean, yeah, it, it's good. Yeah, Especially it's, if you've got a great ear. Well, it, it's I mean, like the like there's a is there a saxophone that I'm hearing? Oh, in it? yeah. Yeah, that's um, yeah, I, I love that sax. And that was a real shock because <laughs> I when if, if Dave had told me, Brad, we're going to put a sax solo on here, I would have just rolled my eyes. But I thought it just turned out beautifully. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, yeah, it's it doesn't sound to me like you're trying to sound like something that's already existed, yeah. which is just the worst because it never works out and it you'd be better off. So you'd be better off just doing something original um, for for and sure. Failing and failing rather than, yeah, no, agreed. <laughs> it's funny about your reluctance to have that saxophone because this, you know, I did, I did, as I told you, I did have Ian Anderson as a guest, but then I also met him uh, after a show and I got to talk to him for like 20 minutes, just the two of us. And I made it my personal mission to tell him that he's wrong, that the the album A Passion Play is a fantastic piece of music and he's wrong to disparage it. And he just was having none of it. And, and I thought, no, no, I'm going to convince him. But in particular, apparently Stephen Wilson, he said, yeah, I tried to tell Stephen Wilson when he did the, the remix to just take that awful saxophone off the thing. Oh no, I love the saxophone. And I said, no, I said to, and, and, and thankfully Stephen Wilson said exactly what I said, which is, the saxophone is the whole thing. We cannot yeah, take that saxophone yeah, that's right. out. I, I think my own thought on that is it's more when I hear someone say, oh, we're going to put sax in a rock song, I think of Huey Lewis. Yeah, exactly. You know, which it works for Lewis, him. But, but that's not my, <laughs> that's not right. my thing. <laughs> right. No, no, no. Understood. Understood. All right. I'm going to tell you my secret song that I want you to listen to right now in front of the folks. I'll link to, to it 
And of course, I'll link to the Bardic Depths at tomwoods.com slash 1634. Um, and then we'll wrap up with a promo because I don't want to wrap up with my song. Let's distract people. No, no, no. They have to go get the Bardic Depths, which they can get on Amazon. They can get on streaming services, anywhere you get music. Yeah, the, that's right. The Bardic Burning Depths. Shed, yeah. Burning Shed, yeah. Burning Shed is pretty obscure <laughs> uh, that's outlet. That's true, but man, those guys are great entrepreneurs. Oh, they're awesome, but but they're only so... you and I know them because they're that's... just progressive. Yeah, <laughs> We need to make, that, make them better known, Tom. Yes, I love Burning Shed. I, I want everything they sell. I know. Me too. Wouldn't that uh, be incredible? I, I can't even open their emails. Like, no, I, no. <laughs> no. Every more. Thursday afternoon, it's one of the highlights. Yeah. Yep. All right. Here's the song. All right. I already – don't you shake your head at me. Somebody's off camera, so to speak, is scolding me for this. But I've already sent you a song by this band, and I think it's not your cup of tea. That's okay. you got to listen to this song. You ready? Everybody write this down. The song is called – you be quiet over there. The song is called Heart Like a Grave. And it is one of the best songs I've ever heard. And it is it is by this metal band, Insomnium. Not insomnia like the sleep disorder. Insomnium like a Latin word. And I want you to listen to it five times. And you're going to say, Woods, why would you make me? Because I think you'll like it. And now realize that the vocal... You know, it's a death metal style vocal. It's not for everyone. But by the fifth time, you're going to say, ah, this is the only way you could sing this, though. This is the only way that this works. And it just grabs me, and I can't get this haunting melody out of my head. So that's your assignment, is to go listen to that. But the assignment of everybody else listening to this is to go listen to the Bardic Depths because your friend and favorite Liberty Classroom instructor and one of your favorite Tom Wood Show guests, Brad Berzer, was the creative <laughs> genius behind this project. And how many times can we say that about somebody who comes on this program? So we are going to milk this for all it's worth. So I will link to it at tomwoods.com slash 1634. Let's, Brad, let's let you have a final word before we call it a day. Oh, Tom, it's great talking as always. And can we make sure your listeners know that you were scolding Jenna, not me, about shaking your head off camera? Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, really, Tom, this is I, I, I thank you so much for everything you've done. And and even something like this album, you know, I think there's just I have so much more confidence about doing something like this because of what we've done with Liberty Classroom and what you've allowed me to do. And and uh, yeah, it's just thank you. So it's been great. And I, I hope that your listeners I'm guessing that a lot of your listeners have adopted Prague because they trust you. And, you know, what a what a great thing to spread in the world. I mean, even yeah. even the darkest Prague is usually pretty interesting and creative. So, you know, what a great thing to spread. Well, I will say that I've seen people, uh, of course, sometimes say I love Woods except for his musical recommendations. <laughs> but I've also seen people say Woods has not steered me wrong on music yet. Yeah, I had I have a guy who is a extremely successful physician who is uh, a little older than you. And I and and he went out and was listening to Cosmograph because of you. Nice. And is just a fanatic for that. Oh, so nice. just people you wouldn't think, right? But they it's listen Robin and they say, yeah. Th birthday, as we're talking about this from Cosmograph. Uh, whose birthday? Robin Armstrong from. Oh, it's yeah, he's the birthday. guy. Yeah, yeah, he's fifty today. Oh, how about that? Okay, yeah, we're all roughly the same age. Roughly. Yeah, right. I, I'm still older, but. 
<laughs> yeah, I wasn't going to say that. But, okay, well, anyway, uh, we are reliable, not just on ideological matters and philosophy and economics, but we are reliable on this stuff. Go listen to what we tell you to listen to and listen to it until you like it is how you know that you've listened to it enough. All right, Brad, I'm going to let you go. Thanks so much. Tom, it was wonderful. Thank you. All right, folks, that's another week of the Tom Woods Show. If you like and appreciate what I'm doing, then head over to supportinglisteners.com and look at all the amazing benefits you get as a supporting listener of the Tom Woods Show. And I remind you of one of my favorite characters in all of literature, and that, of course, you know, is Wonko the Sane. That's right, from So Long and Thanks for All the Fish by Douglas Adams. Wonko the Sane felt like the world was a giant insane asylum, and can you blame him? So he felt like when he was in his house, he was outside the asylum. But when he would leave his house, he was inside the asylum. You want to get outside the asylum, you join the Tom Woods supporting listeners and get into my Tom Woods Show elite group, and you will feel like you have finally escaped the asylum. I look forward to welcoming you there. The way in is at supportinglisteners.com. See you soon. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time. Like the sound of The Tom Woods Show? My audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at Podsworth.com.